0: All right, everyone, welcome to the Above Average Football Fan Podcast. For above average football fans and below average football fans who want to learn more about the game, or if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody, here we are. Uh, Before we get started with our 10th episode tonight, I want to shout out our first show sponsor, Jeremy Ellison, with Keller Williams Palmetto Realty. He specializes in both being a uh, agent for buyers and seller transactions here in the Columbia, South Carolina area. Um, if you have some questions for Jeremy, right now it's a hot market in Columbia, particularly a seller's market, please give him a call. His number is 803-603-5784, or you can shoot him an email at jeremyellison, that's Jeremy Ellison at kw.com for all your real estate needs. So I'm very excited for episode 10. We have Brad Fowler from the Pint Glass football cast here joining us. Brad, thanks for being here, man.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on. Really excited to talk some football with you.
0: Absolutely, man. So just because, you know, my audience, I imagine we may have some crossover folks just because of the subjects we both talk about. But just for my folks who maybe don't know about your show yet, give them a little intro about your show and, and what your background with football might be.
1: Yeah, so my show is, like you said, Pint Glass Football Podcast. It's available on all the major players, uh, Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeart, Amazon Music, uh, Pandora, you name it. You can find it just about anywhere. Uh, It's a weekly show that we break down NFL and college football and right now I'm in the off season. We're getting, we're gearing up for season three, uh, starting here in April, going to be doing a lot of NFL draft coverage and breaking down these prospects and going to have some great guests and whatnot. Um, So yeah, really excited. My football background is I always kind of tell people on the show, people that have listened to my show is I'm I'm just a guy who likes to drink beer and watch football. So I I don't take myself too seriously in that regard. I'm just a a big football fan, uh, a guy who loves the game and fall the game closely and decided uh, to start a podcast so that that's really uh, my background and and uh yeah I, lo- I love i love the college game the nfl game and and just love uh breaking it down with guys like you
0: yeah man you are on the exact right show then uh this is uh, i like to call it the podcast for football junkies i played a little bit uh i coached a little bit but mostly i'm just a football junkie i've been a football junkie since i was a kid i bet you remember uh The old uh, ESPN edge matchup uh, with uh, uh, Ron Jaworski and Merrill Hodge late night on ESPN. If you don't, that's where I got my football Joneses as a kid. I'd videotape that on my dad's VCR and watch it the next day. It was all football breakdown. So it was fantastic.
1: I love it, man. I love it. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely know what you're talking about. I remember those shows and, and I'm, I'm just like you, man. I used to stay up late as a kid and I used to write down all the stats on in a notebook and, uh, whether it was sports center or what was on, I was a football junkie as well. So definitely, uh, excited to do this with you, buddy. It sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. All
0: right, man. Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and jump into it. So we're going to start off NFL. Like you mentioned drafts coming up. Um, Obviously, in every NFL draft, the first topic, the main topic is always the first pick. Everybody knows it's the Jacksonville Jaguars. At this point, it is pretty much a foregone conclusion that that pick's going to be Trevor Lawrence. Uh, just to get your opinion here, you know, Trevor Lawrence is seen as a can't-miss prospect uh, by a lot of people. Um, now, granted, I'm a Gamecock fan, born and bred, went to the university, so maybe it's just the Gamecock in me that has trouble seeing a Clemson Tiger that way, but we've had Can't miss prospects, miss before. So before we talk exactly about Trevor, tell me your take. You've been watching football for a long time. There's been can't miss, go number one, and then they miss. Where do you see that coming from as a fan?
1: well I think the can't miss you. you can get yourself in trouble with that now, now do I think he's a great prospect I definitely do but I do agree with you there's no such thing as a can't miss guy Ryan Leaf was a can't miss prospect if we remember back when he came out with Peyton Manning there was a lot of debate at that time who should go number one it seems like a silly question now because Peyton went on to become a Hall of Famer and Ryan Leaf ended up being a bust but at the time it was a legit argument people thought Ryan Leaf was that good. And he really flamed out early in the NFL. We've seen lots of other guys get drafted really high that people were high on that. Don't uh, make it at the next level. So I'm definitely with you. There's no such thing as a can't miss, but when it comes to Trevor Lawrence, I'm pretty high on him as most people are. I think he's definitely one of the best quarterback prospects we've seen in quite a while. When you look at this kid and you break it down, he really checks so many boxes. 6 foot 6, 220 pounds, 30 plus starts at Clemson with a 29 and 1 record. Now he's got a phenomenal team around him. It's it's not like he won those games by himself, but he was absolutely phenomenal. We know that, the national championship success, the big playoff games. But if you look at the intangibles that are going to translate to the next level, he was a 65% completion thrower. With a five and a half touchdown to interception ratio. This kid is really accurate, big, tall, good arm, throws a beautiful deep ball, especially to the left side. He's got great touch on that type of throw athletic. He's good on the move. He can escape pressure, good anticipation and timing. He can really throw his wide receivers open. There's a lot to like when you break down Trevor Lawrence's game. And I totally understand why so many scouts and analysts are so high on him. But if I was going to nitpick, if I I was going to look at a few things that maybe he could improve on, I think he can improve on his over-the-middle throws. Sometimes it's a, a spot where he misses or, or tends to go away from the middle. I think he's going to have to get better at that. His footwork can be a little bit sloppy at times, and he does have a slightly long delivery. It's not the, the perfect uh, prototypical delivery you'd like to see. He's kind of a tall, lanky kid, and so those long arms sometimes – that delivery can be a little longer than I think NFL scouts would like, but overall his mechanics are really, really solid. And the, the big question for me is can he overcome the dysfunction That is the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, this is he's coming into a situation with a rookie head coach that has zero NFL experience. I know everyone's excited about Urban Meyer, but this is a guy who's never coached at this level. Now with a rookie quarterback in a franchise that's had so many issues and has a roster full of holes. So he's going from Clemson where he had elite talent pretty much at every position and now going to a cupboard. That's pretty bare at Jacksonville. So I think it's going to be a huge wake up call for him and learning on the job with a head coach that's learning on the job. I don't think it bodes well. I think it's going to be a rough season, although I'm sure we're going to see flashes of talent from him. I don't think as far as a prospect, I don't think he's an Andrew luck or I don't think he's a John Elway Type of prospect, but I do think he might be one of the best we've seen in probably 20 years.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I joked about being a gamecock and and wanting to nitpick him. I totally agree with you. I mean, Ryan Leaf's a, a very good example. You know, everybody thought that he he was going to light the world on fire, and, and definitely didn't do that on the football field anyway. Um, and then I think about a David Carr, who you know from Fresno State, obviously did not play, you know, in the big five, in the big 10, or excuse me, the power five. And, but I think some of it that contributed to him and you kind of mentioned this is the holes on the roster that the Texans had and, you know, kind of have still today, but he got beat up. He got sacked all the time and it just changed the uh, trajectory of his career. And I mean, Trevor could be staring down the the barrel of that same gun, so to speak. And also, you know, something to think about here recently, um, there's been some criticism of Gus Malzahn's offense Uh, and how simple it is at the college level, and how it doesn't always translate well to the pro level. Well, so your question here might be, well, why why am I talking about Gus Malzahn? He doesn't have anything to do with Clemson. Well, Gus Malzahn and Chad Morris built their offenses together. The offense at Clemson right now that they're running is the, you know, brainchild of Chad Morris, adapted by Jeff Scott and uh, others there, and so, and Tony Elliott, and so, that you know, I've heard before, and I haven't actually you know done a whole lot of research on their offense. That it is similar in the fact that it's not a traditional uh, read system. You don't have X, Y, and Z, for example, at wide receiver. You have one, two, and three. You don't have. You may have a, a play where you only have one read, and so I don't know that they have brought that with them uh, to Clemson with Morris and whatnot. I'd heard that in the past, so that's something to consider too. These spread offenses that uh you know simplify the game it's great now we've seen success of the air raid in the NFL and air raid concepts but it gets more complex everybody's better everybody's faster the windows are so much smaller and again like you pointed out he's not playing at Clemson anymore you know as much as i hate to say it as a gamecock fan they're one of the best teams in the country and they're going to have one of the best players at every position he does not have that luxury anymore so it's going to be an adjustment period for him and again like you pointed out um Urban Meyer has never done this before at the NFL level, and the track record of coaches going from college to the pros isn't always that great. And so there's a lot of uh, things to consider there. I mean, I guess if you're a Jacksonville Jaguar fan, you're excited. Urban Meyer is a successful football coach. Trevor Lawrence is a successful football player, so you're hoping for the best. But there's some reason for caution there.
1: Yeah, I can. I completely agree. No, I can. I agree on everything you just said there. I think it's spot on. And just, you know, in my opinion, I think that it could be a rough season uh, for him. And it, and really, when you look at urban Meyer, I think it's interesting because as great as he was as a college coach, he, did, like you kind of alluded to, he doesn't run a pro style system. He, he never ran a pro style system at Florida or Ohio state or Utah for that matter in his past. And so it'll be interesting to see what kind of system they run. If they're going to run more of that uh, college style system maybe to help Trevor out maybe that helps him maybe maybe that kind of gives him a boost here early on but I'm with you I don't think it's built to last and when you look at Urban Meyer this is a guy who has retired twice in recent years because of health factors mostly due from reports that I've heard from the stresses of losing football games here's a guy who only lost a couple times a season on average what's going to happen when Jacksonville's one in 5 What's going to happen when they're two and seven? You know, I, I think this could be uh, more of a fairy tale than than a reality for Jacksonville.
0: Oh, I agree with you there. Um, that'll be interesting to watch. All right. Let's let's switch gears just a little bit here. Let's talk about a few more prospects uh, in your opinion right now. Who who's the most underrated prospect in the draft that you can think of? Who's the guy flying under the radar that you think is going to have a great NFL career?
1: I think the most underrated player is JC Horn cornerback for South Carolina, a player that you're probably familiar with six foot one, 205 pounds. You want to talk about a guy who has the ideal build to play corner at the next level. He's the son of former saints, wide receiver, Joe Horn. So he's got that NFL pedigree. He had 40 tackles last season, nine pass breakups. Excuse me. This is 2019. Sorry. Nine pass breakups, two forced fumbles you and a sack, just a really, really productive player that checks so many boxes when you're looking for an elite corner prospect. I think he really excels in that press man-to-man coverage, a team that likes to play that style on the outside, I think will suit him really, really well. But I also see him as a guy who can be versatile and can come in and play the nickel and cover the slot receiver because he's such a good athlete. He's also good in run support, which I think is an underrated trait for a cornerback he's not afraid to come up and and stop to run now he does have a lack of interceptions I think that might be his biggest concern as far as when he's being scouted but really a lot of that just comes from teams being scared to throw against this guy he didn't get a whole lot of opportunities he was that good of a college cornerback when you look at his game he can really mirror wide receivers with his speed and agility I think he may be the best cornerback in this entire class. And he's certainly not getting discussed as the top corner. Most people have him in that uh, three or even four range, but I'm really high on JC Horn.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, as you said, I, I, I'm i very familiar with JC. I live here in Columbia, South Carolina. I'm a graduate of the University of South Carolina. I watch every game. Um, you hit all of all of the things right on the head, and you're exactly right. Some of those concerns of a low interception rate, people knew from day one, don't throw his way and they just didn't. And, uh, you know, his best game this season, I talked about this on Twitter earlier today, um, was against Auburn. And our coaches allowed him to to run man-to-man on Sam Coates. He followed him everywhere. He was his shadow. And it was that old Deion Sanders approach of, hey, rest of the defense, you guys run whatever you want. I'm going to take this guy and he's not going to touch the ball all game. And that was what happened. Um, and so, yeah. And the other thing I can add to what you were saying there, because I just saw it um, out of Columbia today, he had his pro day here in Columbia. He ran a 4.39 and uh, had a vertical of 41 and a half inches. That's elite athleticism. And you already mentioned his size and coverage ability. So I agree with you. You know, JC has come out here in local media and said he feels like he's the best DB in the draft. I think he maybe even said best defensive player, but he's at least the best DB. And I'll be interested to see how he moves up, if at all, the ranks. Um, it's because I just, I, all the things you just said and knowing him the way I know him, or, not obviously, don't know him personally watching him. Uh, is I agree with you 100%. So, my underrated guy, Jalen Doran from North Texas. Yep, I went that deep. This kid has a lot of intangibles. The only problem is he, you know, this isn't an issue. We've seen successful smaller wide receivers. Obviously, Devontae Smith going in the draft this year as the Heisman Trophy winner, he is a smaller guy himself. But Darren, uh, Darren comes in at 5'9, 174 pounds, he's a little light, but. He is, to me, the ideal slot receiver. And with everybody in the NFL right now, they're running three, four, even five wide a lot. And I think he can be uh, uh, under – uh, underrated guy there that maybe people don't know much about. I don't think he's a first rounder or anything like that, but I think he could be somebody that uh, can make some some shock waves in the NFL. And also, if there are fantasy football uh, players and listeners, he might be a, a good grab late in your fantasy draft because um, if he can get it going that rookie year, um, he might you can get him super low. So that that's where I went with that. Um, I'll be honest with you, I was going to go with JC, but I felt like too much of a homer.
1: Hey, well, I covered it for you, and I love your pick going deep there. That's awesome. I'm going to have to look for that kid.
0: Yeah, he's a a pretty good player, and uh, I watched him uh, a couple times this year uh, just because I love football, and I couldn't go to any football games because of COVID, so anything I could watch, I did. Um, All right, so let's switch to the other side of the coin, so to speak. Who's a prospect that you have some concerns about that, you know, he's he's being touted as this great player, early-round pick, but in your mind, what you see and think, he maybe not might not reach that potential. Who's somebody you're, you're looking
1: at there? Yeah, maybe a guy that's being a little overrated. Um for me, it's Justin Fields, the quarterback out of Ohio State. Most people think that he's a lock to be a top 10 pick and and I'm sure he will be. But when you look at this kid, he's got the size and athleticism that you like. He has a lot of traits and he has a really high ceiling. I just don't think he's reached. Uh, that development where he's ready to play at the NFL level, you know, like I said, he's got all the physical tools to play at that level, but he's, he was really inconsistent at times in college. He played in that very quarterback friendly system at Ohio state. I don't think it translates well to the NFL. I think he's going to have a lot of learning to do at the next level, as far as reading defenses and so forth. He's a kid that when you watch his tape, he doesn't tend to go through his progressions. And for me, that's a big red flag because we know at the NFL level, you've got to be able to get to your second read, your third read, and sometimes even a fourth read to have success because the defenses are so good and the windows are so tight. He's a kid that when I watch his tape, if his first read isn't open, he tends to divert to uh, just scrambling. He wants to tuck it and run as soon as he doesn't see that first read. To me, that's a big, big red flag. He's going to have to develop and be more patient in the pocket. If he's going to have success, he doesn't anticipate throws well enough. This is, this is another big red flag for me. He tends to wait for his wide receivers to really become open before he throws the ball. And, and, you know, as well as I do, that just doesn't work at the NFL level. The the windows are so tight. You need to be able to thread the needle and you're not going to be able to just wait for a guy to break open because more often than not. They're not going to. You hear it all the time with analysts and coaches and people talking about the game, especially at the NFL level. They always say, you've got to be able to throw your receiver open. And I don't see enough of that when I watch his game. I think he's a kid with a lot of talent. I think he's a kid that could develop into a really good player. I just don't think he's there yet. And I think someone's going to take him early and be really disappointed if they push him into a starting role too early.
0: Yeah, I, I can totally understand what you're saying there. Uh, again, like you said, I I, I watched a good bit of Ohio State, obviously, and as most people around the country do. And you know, he he had a tendency to take off. You're exactly right. That first read wasn't there. Use his legs. Is that a tendency he can break? You know maybe so but you know there's been lots of guys who who are able to use that i i know steve young once talked about um with michael vick and his development as a pro player that it can almost be a hindrance to you when you have speed like that you can all you always think in the back of your mind uh i can get out of this i can go ahead and i can run for 15 20 yards here instead of having to wait for my progression if i get nervous or i I feel a little pressure and that doesn't always work in the nfl you know, everybody's—it's everybody's best player from everybody's best team. Even the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are picking number one overall. You know, that—that's an adjustment. Um, I agree with you. I think he has potential to be a good player. I do think um, maybe just a little bit uh, of uh, a reach uh, where they have him listed right now. So I'm going to go quarterback as well. Um, Trey Lance uh, from uh, North Dakota State. I think he's. Got a lot of a lot of things you like as a quarterback, a lot size, again, athleticism and speed. He has done a lot of good things at the college level, great things really, but it's the sample size for me he has not played that many football games as a starting quarterback. Um, You know, it's not, and it really doesn't bother me about the level he played at, you know, Carson Wentz, I'm an Eagles fan. Carson had a very good NFL career going 2017. He's most likely the MVP if he doesn't get hurt. And, you know, of course his injuries and some other things in the dysfunction that is the Eagles right now um, led to some issues there. Um, But it's just the sample size. So I, I don't want to say he's overrated in the fact that I don't think he's got the ability. It's just, I don't feel like I've seen him enough. Um, and so that, that makes me nervous.
1: Yeah. It, you know, you, uh, you bring up Trey Lance and for me, I think he's the most interesting prospect in this class. And, and it's funny because a lot of the things that you said, I couldn't agree with you more. When you look at him, he's got that six, 224 pound frame the FCS school. It's always a big question mark. I agree with you. It's not like we haven't seen kids come out of small schools and have success, but he never played a single FBS team. He never played a big boy. He never, we never got to see it. Usually when those guys play at the small schools, we get to see at least one or two games against a power five team or somebody from a a higher level. And we never got to see that. I think that's concerning in, in the fact that, like you said, the sample size is a big red flag for me as well. Now I'd, like when I from what I've seen from him even though it's very little he's a big strong kid he's athletic he can escape pressure he can make those off platform throws he plays in a run heavy pro style system which is so rare in the modern college era to run a pro style system i think that does suit him well for the next level he's a kid that i've i've read and heard things that they say at uh, north dakota he makes all the protection calls And he has the capability to audible at the line of scrimmage things that you don't see much at the college level. So I think that helps him and he takes care of the football. You know, he's a guy with only one interception. He's been very, uh, you know, very good at taking care of the ball and not making big mistakes, but I'm with you, the limited experience as a starter, only 17 games and especially only 17 at that lower level. It's a big, big concern for me. I I think he's an intriguing prospect. I don't really know what to make of this kid to be completely honest.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, it's just, there's just not enough and you're exactly right. He's never played a big boy. He's never shown off, you know, hey, yeah, I'm at North Dakota State, but I, we played, you know, say Oregon or whatever, and and I got to show what I what I could do, and you know, without knowing that, it's just so hard. And I think it's interesting. You talked about how intriguing he is, and I agree with you, he is. But sometimes GMs and coaches they fall in love with those intriguing prospects, and they want to look over or overlook uh, a guy like a Mac Jones from Alabama. You know, granted, we talked about Trevor Lawrence being surrounded by some of the best players in the in the college football. Mac was certainly in that same category at Alabama, but he was very successful. A little bit more of a sample size, obviously played at the extreme level of winning a national championship. But at his most recent uh, pro day, I read that the Carolina Panthers, who I believe have the eighth pick, didn't even show up to watch or they didn't send very many people, whereas other teams did where the Panthers were watching a lot of Trey Lance. You know, it's a system thing. Sure. Whatever. But that just seems risky to me. I said, like I said, I'm an Eagles fan, so I'm not not a Panther. But at the same time, if I'm a Panthers fan, I'm kind of scratching my my head at that one.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great piece of information. I was unaware of that. And I think that's really intriguing that they really didn't pay much attention to a guy like Mac Jones, a guy who's a little more of the old school style pocket passer something that's really not in vogue nowadays. And, and I think it could be a mistake to overlook a guy like that um, for a kid like a Trey Lance that just has so many question marks. So that that's definitely interesting.
0: Well, yeah, and I, I think from also I, – I did a little more research and digging on it. I think, if I'm remembering correctly, the Panthers staff was, was the East uh, staff in the senior bowl. So, you know, there was some thinking that maybe, hey, they feel like they got a good um, – they got a good look at him then and they didn't need to see him again. I don't know, but I just found that super interesting. Um, I mean, again, even if you are considering drafting that guy – you know, you gotta, you know, these guys wanna know you want them. So you're just not gonna show up at his pro day if you did. That just seems weird. So I would say that's a sign. All right, we're gonna um oh, sorry, let's let's talk a little dark horse. Who who's somebody no one has heard of that you think's gonna have a, a great pro career uh, that nobody's talking about quite yet?
1: Well, this, this guy, I think people have maybe heard of him that are following the draft prospects, uh, but he's, he's certainly not a household name by any means. And it, it, this guy, for me, he'll, he'll probably be a first round pick, maybe an early second, but I think he's got the potential to be a really, really high level player. And that's Elijah Vera Tucker. He's a uh, played guard and a little bit of tackle at USC 64 315 I think he's hands down the best interior offensive lineman in this entire class. And I really haven't seen very many people talking about how good he could be. When you watch his tape, he's got really solid technique, really good footwork. He has that prototypical size and strength. We, I mean, you hear that with almost every USC prospect, they just seem to be an NFL factory and have for years. This is the next guy in line coming out of that program. Great body control. He's really strong strong at the point of attack can really blow guys off the ball. But the other thing I like about him is he's really, really smooth when he gets into his pass sets. I think he's going to be a terrific pass blocker at the next level. Didn't give up very much pressure at all in the pac 12. And like I said, I think he could be, The second or third interior lineman taken in this class, and I think it'll be a steal if he goes in the late first or late first, early second round, because I think he could end up being the best of that group.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree, man. You're talking offensive line. I'm an old offensive lineman and offensive line coach. So you're speaking my language. So I'm a big fan of that. Um, My guy is also definitely not an unheard of, but I still think most people, your casual fan who might be watching the draft isn't going to know who he is. Zavin Collins from Tulsa had an amazing campaign, is really athletic, great size. He is predicted in some cases super high in the first round. Um, But, you know, again, I think if your average football fan sitting at a bar having a beer watching the NFL draft and he goes in the first round and it's their favorite team, the fans favorite team, uh, you know, making the call there I think they're going to you're going to have the average fan booing or upset about that, but he's a guy who. You know can really be one of those small school defensive players that can really impress early in my opinion a lot of speed a lot of size his ability to change direction at the linebacker position is key he's got great hips but he can also thrust the passer when he needs to really he's he's that all-around backer Um, and so he may have played at Tulsa and it might be a name that if you're just watching college, uh, game day or or the game of the week on the SEC network or whatever, you're not going to see, but he's somebody I think can really make some noise.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, I just wrote that one down. I'm going to have to keep an eye out for him because, uh, I, I I will admit I was unfamiliar with the name, but I'm excited to, uh, look at the tape now.
0: Yeah, he's, he's got a chance. Um, he's six foot four, two sixty. you know, he, he moves well. He's, he can get off blocks extremely well. What I like about him is his burst around the corner when he beats that tackle or guard, depending on what gap he may be coming through. He can dip that shoulder and do what we call the dip and rip and, and really get through there and get on those edges of his cleats and get to the quarterback in a hurry. So, I, I you know, I really like that. Again, you have the concern of, of you know, hey, he played at Tulsa. Um, his speed isn't going to blow anybody away on the 40 yard dash, but at the same time, I'm more of a guy who thinks of that, that 10 yard burst that five yard burst, particularly at the, at the linebacker position. That's not necessarily what you want at corner, but at that linebacker spot that, you know, if you're running a four, six, four, seven, that's not going to blow anybody away. But when you can make tackles, you can make tackles and this guy can make tackles.
1: Yeah, certainly. I think it's what you hear a lot of these analysts refer to as that closing speed when when they've got a defender within 10 yards, six yards. Can they close that space quickly and deliver the tackle? And I, it sounds like he's that kind of player.
0: 100 percent. 100 percent. All right. We're going to we're going to change lanes again here and we're going to talk a little college football. You're a little bit more on the West Coast. I'm a little bit more on the East Coast. So we're going to we're going to break it down that way. And so you are going to have a little bit more knowledge, I would say, or maybe a lot more knowledge than uh, than me about the Pac-12. So going into next season, who who are the strongest teams in the Pac-12 right now?
1: Yeah, I'm sitting right in the heart of Pac-12 country, and and I think the strongest teams in the Pac-12, I think the easy answer is Oregon. They should be. Or, excuse me, they should open the season in the top 10. If you look at ESPN, Bill Conley has them number five in his preseason rankings. They've really become the premier program out west three straight top 10 recruiting classes they're really starting to build this thing in back-to-back pac 12 titles rose bowl appearance they they just have a ton of talent coming back they've got a lot of players that opted out last season it looks like a lot of those guys are going to return you combine that with a lot of the talent that has been coming into this program and i think there's no reason to think that oregon isn't the favorite again in the pac 12 and if if you look at this program, I think a lot of people nationally, they still see Oregon from a few years back when it was kind of the blur offense. And it was seven they snapped a ball within five to seven seconds. And they were always up tempo and they'd hang 50 points on everybody. That is not the current Oregon team at all. If you look at Mario Cristobal, he took over this program and he, he has completely reshaped the identity of Oregon football. He believes he's a guy who, who was an assistant under Uh, Nick Saban in Alabama, and he's really brought an sec style of football to the West coast. He believes in building in the trenches he's recruited at an extremely high level, on the offense and defensive lines. He loves to pound the rock and play great solid defense. And it's really starting to show at Oregon. So I expect them to be a pretty heavy favorite in the pac 12, but there's going to be some competition. I think Washington could be really good after a good first year with new head coach, Jimmy Lake, the defense is loaded up in Seattle. This team is going to be really good on that side of the ball. I think they could be a dark horse to try to rival Oregon in the north division in USC you know they they were the Pac12 runner up last year and they have the best quarterback in the conference returning in Cadone Slovis now the defense took a big step last year and they're always loaded with NFL talent. We talked about it just a little bit ago, and especially at wide receiver. This is a team that has a ton of talent at the wide receiver position. So USC is always a team that's going to be scary. I expect them to be one of the favorites in the South division. But really, if you look at Oregon, USC, Arizona State, Utah, and Washington, I think all of them could and should be in the top 25 this year. And I think it's going to be a competitive conference in the Pac 12.
0: Right, and I, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of talent out there uh, this this coming school, uh, season, I should say. So that leads me to my next question. You just talked about it. It's something that us over here on the East Coast like to talk about the SEC all the time. When you have that many talented teams, you tend to sometimes during the regular season beat up on each other and without meaning to knocking each other out of playoff contention. Is Could you see that happening, or do you see the Pac-12 having a dominant enough team you know, of course they're they're a power five conference, but do you see them having a playoff team this coming uh, season?
1: Well, it's a tough question because if you look at the Pac-12, they've been left on the outside looking in the last few years here now. And and you hit it on the head perfectly. It's because the conference is a lot deeper than I think the national perspective paints it. This is a conference with a lot of talent and it's extremely difficult to run the table in a conference like this. So teams tend to beat up on each other. And usually you've got a Pac-12 champion with one or two losses. And the national perspective is that a one or two loss team out here, isn't good enough to play in the, in the, in a playoff. And I think it's really unfortunate. And, and I think it could play out again this year. And it's, it's really one of those things where there was a lot of people, if you look at back when USC was winning titles and when they were one of the premier programs with Pete Carroll, a lot of people, uh, on the East coast or other parts of the country used to to say, Oh, it's a pack one. And people would say, Oh, it's, you know, it's USC and, and they were just playing a bunch of cupcakes well you can't have it both ways you know if you have a dominant team you know you've got a you've got a dominant team or you've got a team or a a conference that beats up on each other they can't both be bad conferences you know so it's kind of a, it's 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 kind of one of those tough predicaments that the Pac-12 is in. But I think a big part of it is the national narrative, and I think the Pac-12, it really why that narrative continues to hold on is the lack of exposure. The Pac-12 network has really been a huge failure. It's something that I think had really good intentions. Um, it's kind of like if, if you draw up the perfect play but your wide receiver's wide open and the quarterback can't get them the ball. It's not really, it doesn't really matter. I think it was a great idea, but it was poorly executed. When you can't get the Pac-12 network on direct TV and you can't get it on dish and a lot of these other major providers, you're, you're eliminating eyeballs f- from a lot of Midwest and East coast viewers. And I think that really hurts their exposure. The other factor is they, Kick off their games way too late. They're always trying to get these late windows. And they they tried this advertising campaign where it was pack 12 after dark, and they'd had these like 7:30 local West Coast time kickoffs, eight o'clock kickoffs. Well, you know, eight o'clock on the west coast is what 11 o'clock on the east coast. I'm sorry, people are not watching those games over there. It's too late. I can barely stay up and watch the games. So they've got a, a serious problem there. I, I think they need to address. That Last season, USC played a game early in the year at 9 a.m. local time, which made it a 12 o'clock noon kickoff on the East Coast. I thought it was a brilliant idea. I think it's something that the pac desperately needs to look into, and I think they need to restructure this TV contract. And with Commissioner Larry Scott moving out after this season, they're going to have to really nail this next commissioner and make sure that they get a better TV deal going forward
0: yeah i totally agree with you there i think the the pac-12 does 100 percent suffer from a lack of exposure you know um being in, in with those late starts i remember the pac-12 after dark campaign what's funny is when i was in high school um and you know staying out late like high schoolers were due my mom became a fan of the oregon ducks because she would watch them waiting for me to come home on a saturday night And she liked their helmets and and all their craziness. So that was a a good time there. So, I mean, I think it is an issue. I think, you know, again, you have some really good teams. You have a situation like where you're going to beat up on each other. You're going to knock each other out. You're going to have two lost teams that are two lost teams that could win the Pac-12. And while they may be a great football team, they are going to be looked at by these folks who, you know, and that's another thing I think the NCAA has got to look at is how we're selecting these teams. I mean, I, you know, I know if we keep expanding the playoffs, we can get huge, but I really feel like a, an eight team playoff or a six team with, a two, with two buys for the top two picks or something along those lines needs to happen because when you have what we call the power five conferences and you have a four team playoff, one of those power five conferences is being left out. So I think even going to a six team uh playoff to start like i said with the top two seeds getting a a bide uh to the next round you know that can allow the all power five and then you have an at-large bid because we typically have a team who isn't in those power five conferences that's really sharp and really doing a good job and you know of course everybody remembers ucf years ago who claimed a national championship because they were left out blah 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 but it's there's some truth to let's let those guys play and you know let's look at march madness let's look at the ncaa basketball tournament Those Cinderella stories are what makes March Madness, March Madness. If you go to six teams, it's not too big, but you can still have the small guy, the Cincinnati's of last year who can really say, you know what? We deserve a shot at this. We got a shot at it. Maybe we pick up a win and, uh, you know, gets everybody excited again.
1: I I agree with you completely. And and not to hammer this point too much, but I I've talked about this on my podcast a couple different times last season. And and I agree with you. I personally, if I was going to fix the college wall playoff, I personally would make, let, let's eliminate all the, uh, the guesswork, right? For me, I would just do it and simplify it and go, let's go six teams. All the power five champions are in. Just make it an automatic. You win your power five conference, you're in the playoff, and then leave the sixth spot for that non-Power 5 team that maybe ran the table, a UCF like a couple years ago, or a Cincinnati, one of these teams, give them a shot as well. I think it's the perfect scenario because then there's no arguing about, well, this team was better than that. No, no, you win your conference, you're in. Just no more arguments, no more debates about who could beat who. I I just think it's it's the perfect system, but I'm with you. They definitely need to expand it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So that's, that's uh, where we are in the Pac-12. Of course, it's, it's way early to be predicting a whole lot of anything anyway, let's move on to the, uh, to, to Oklahoma and the big 12 uh, in the Texas area. And that mid part of the country, Oklahoma has been dominating, dominating for a while. I mean, they've had some, last year was not their best season. They of course still, uh, you know, were one of the best in the conference, won the conference. So they, they're doing well. Can they continue that, in your opinion? Or if they can't, who's challenging them?
1: Well, I think they're the heavy favorite, again, in the Big 12. They're definitely my pick in that conference. I think a lot of other analysts think that they're going to be right there in that top four, top five discussion. They're probably going to be right there in the playoff mix again. And it starts with quarterback Spencer Rattler. This kid returns at quarterback 3000 plus yards last year, 28 touchdowns, only seven interceptions as a freshman. This guy was a former five-star recruit, a really, really big time recruit that came in to Oklahoma. And he has been awesome for Lincoln Riley in this offense. He's the real deal. As far as a dual threat playmaker who has legit Heisman expertise, expectations this year. I would not be the least bit surprised if he is hoisting that trophy at the end of the year, Lincoln Riley has this program humming. And I think if you look at college football, this is a guy who's as good of a play caller as there probably is in the entire sport. Now, the biggest question mark is, can the defense Catch up with the offense? And can they make them a legit contender, not just a Big 12 contender, but a true college football playoff championship? contender that's really been the issue with this team we just haven't seen that defense take that next step and with the offense as good as they're going to be maybe the defense doesn't need to be the 85 bears i don't i don't think they need to be this lights out deep but they can't be a below average defense like we've seen in the last several years under lincoln riley for me, that's the big area of concern for them. But as far as the Big Twelve, I think they're the heavy favorites, and I expect them to be right there in the mix again this year.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think it's I think it's Oklahoma and everybody else in the in the Big Twelve. I mean, I think they're the clear leader. Um, it's it's just. They, they really are just the clear in the, in the clubhouse leader going into the next season here. So let's again switch to uh, the Big Ten. We talked about Ohio State and the fact that they're going to have to replace Justin Fields among many other players. Where, where do you see them in the Big Ten? Because quite honestly, we have to be honest, Michigan has not looked very good of years late. Penn State was not great last year. You know, that was a shock to a lot of people. I know they had some guys opt out. Um, Minnesota's coming on strong and uh, you know that you have those guys but who who's challenging Ohio State and can they continue to to roll having to replace a, a great player like Justin Fields
1: Well, quite frankly, I think the only team that's challenging Ohio state is Clemson or Alabama. At this point, you're talking about a program that is just completely separated itself from just about everyone in college football outside of the two programs I just mentioned. They're just in a class, a very small class of teams that is just on a different level. And the big 10 is a very, very good football uh, conference. We know that, but like you said, Michigan hasn't quite lived Lived up to expectations. Michigan State isn't where it needs to be. Wisconsin's always a good but never great team. Uh, a very good program, but they just don't have the horses to hang with a team like Ohio State. And you look at Penn State, they were a huge disappointment. I do expect them to bounce back a little bit this year. I, I think that was a very unusual um, turn of events for them. I, I think they'll be better. But as far as competing with Ohio State in this conference, they're, they're in a class by themselves. I do expect a small step back for Ohio state and a slightly different offense without Justin Fields, the quarterback competition in camp I think is going to be really interesting, but I do expect CJ Stroud to win the job. He was the number two rated pocket passer in the nation when he was recruited and he's a decent athlete. He's, he's not the dynamic running athlete that we saw from Justin Fields, but he can move uh, well in the pocket and he can run for, first downs here and there when he needs to, but I do expect a different offense uh, from this, from this Ohio state team, but I think it'll still be a very good offense. I still think, like I said, they're the big 10 favorites. They just have too much talent on this roster at so many different positions. Once again, if you look at ESPN, Bill Conley has them ranked number four in the preseason. I, I expect them to be right in that mix again, and probably in the college football playoff
0: yeah i completely agree i just it's like you said uh they're so far ahead right now and i mean uh, as we're kind of transitioning into the east coast of football and talking about the sec you can look at alabama in that same way like you mentioned when you talk about ohio state when you talk about uh alabama you talk about clemson that they're they're kind of the leaders right now and, and it's it's all the rest of us are looking up at them so to speak you know the Alabama is Alabama, the, the laundry list of players that have stepped in to replace great players is so long we could go on for hours about it. But you look at Alabama as, as an SEC guy, they're replacing a lot just on offense, Mac Jones, Devontae Smith. Um, Najee Harris, Jalen Waddle, just to name a few, and that doesn't even mean, that doesn't even bring up the defensive guys. So, of course, they're Alabama. They have guys on their third team that the rest of us would love to have on our first team. So it, I'm not going to sit here and go, woe is me for Alabama. But as we know, the quarterback position as the quarterback position goes, the team goes. And so they got to find an answer there. Um, you know, they have Bryce young who last year was a, a, a true freshman backup to Mac Jones. There was even a thought that he may give him a push last spring that didn't take place. Um, and obviously Mac Jones went on to do great things and win a national championship. Then when you look at, uh, when you look at Georgia, you know, here in SEC country, the joke's always is, you know, that Georgia always says, well, this is our year. We're for real this year. They got a lot of talent coming back. They really do. They miss some guys too, absolutely. Um, Ben Cleveland, great offensive lineman, great guard, um, among other guys. But they really, uh, you know, if you had to pick an SEC East front runner, I know I'm switching from the west to the east real quick, uh, that is probably the most likely front runner. Florida's replacing Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts. The Kyle to Kyle show is going to the NFL. And I can't uh, say how much the rest of us in the SEC East are excited about that. Um, And then you have the rest of the SEC East. You have South Carolina. Um, I I believe Shane Beamer is going to do a lot of great things at South Carolina, in my opinion. And that's not just wearing garnet colored glasses. He, he wants this job. He wants to be the man here. He wants to see South Carolina back at the level it was at with Steve Spurrier and beyond. You mentioned and Riley um, in Oklahoma, at Oklahoma. He has spent the last several years with him, learning from him. Mark Richt at Georgia, the list goes on and on. Of course, his dad, Frank Beamer, his time under South uh, at South Carolina originally as an assistant under Steve Spurrier. But let's be honest, uh, for all us Gamecocks, You know, we're not going from two wins to winning the SEC. I'd love to see it happen. Hopefully, I'm wrong, and we have to get back together on the show at the end of the season, and you can make fun of me for being wrong. But I just don't see that happening. I think we'll be a better football team and win more games, but we're not competing for the East. And honestly, the rest Kentucky, uh, Missouri, Vanderbilt, Georgia, I'm sorry, uh, Tennessee, it's everybody's in flux. So the SEC East looks like a Georgia lead with Florida in the realm, but the rest of us just kind of watching.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think when you look at it, you hit it on the head perfectly. There's just too many moving parts of some of these other programs. And I think when you look at Georgia, they're the most stable most uh, well-built program in that division. They've got 12 returning starters from a team that went 8-2 and two last year. And I think the full offseason, being able to develop quarterback JT Daniels, the USC quarterback transfer, I think that should really pay off this year. I expect a big improvement from the quarterback position at Georgia. Now, they've got a strong front seven. This is going to be a team with a ton of talent up front. They're going to be nasty up there. But the secondary has a lot of shoes to fill that could be a problem area for Georgia against a team that can really light it up through the air it'll be interesting to see if that front seven can get enough pressure on quarterbacks and slow down running attacks enough to kind of bail out that secondary or we'll see if some of these young guys for Georgia can step up they've had a lot of really good recruits coming in so it wouldn't surprise me if if Georgia makes improvements there but I think it could be slow going I don't expect the secondary to, to play at a high level right out of the gate but I I'm with you. I do think they are the SCC East favorites as far as Florida. I think Florida is just a, a step behind Georgia. Uh, I, I like what they're doing at Florida. I think a, uh, a new quarterback losing uh, uh, Trask and they they're losing their top three pass catchers. Like you had mentioned some really high level players off that offense. I think that, is inevitably going to be tough for them to replace, but the O and D lines have a lot to replace as well. So there's definitely going to be a lot of changes coming to Florida this next season, but I think the offense is going to be fine. I I think they still have a lot of talent. My question is, can the defense get back on track? We really saw them take a big step back last year. I'm wondering what, what to make of this Florida defense going forward, but I think they're one of those teams. They're a very good team, a very good program. It's not a great one. And I do think that they'll finish behind Georgia in that division.
0: No, I agree with you there, obviously. Um, So uh, if we move over to the West real quick, we just mentioned Alabama. They they're going to do what Alabama does. And, you know, minus a uh, a slip, uh, a time where they're on focus with. Which Nick Saban just you know doesn't let happen uh, very often. I see them running their way through the West. Um, Texas A&M had a very good season last year. Kellen Allman is is now moved on, so you know trying to make it in the in the NFL that uh, that's a hard spot to replace. Auburn's in flux, new head coach, new offensive coordinator, a lot of new coaches, um, you know. And and Bo Derek struggled a little bit in the offense last year with Gus Malzahn, which I mentioned earlier, is a kind of a simplified offense. Gamecock fans will tell you that coach Bobo's offense is not simplified. It's, it's, it's very complex and old school full, full field. excuse me, full field reads and, As a result of that, I I see him struggling in that offense, and them having to even possibly look for another starting quarterback through the year. Of course, you got the Lane train over at Ole Miss. They did some things this year. They're gonna they're gonna light boards on fire. They're gonna score points. But that defense last year was just atrocious. And you know, not to I can't say too much as a Gamecock fan. Our defense wasn't stupendous by any stretch. But Ole Miss really struggled. Um, Arkansas. Sam Pittman and his crowd there really doing some great things. I think they could eventually really be a good football program again. I, they're no, nowhere close to to challenging Alabama, Mississippi State with the uh, Pirate there, Mike Leach. Uh, you know, I will say I think if any team in the country really felt an impact of not having a full spring practice. Uh, because of COVID, it would be Mississippi State. Mike Leach's offense is all about repetition, all about perfection in the passing game. And to not get that time to uh, to do that, I think impacted them. So I could see their offense being a lot better just by virtue of a, I'm an air raid guy. I love that system. I think it's super quarterback friendly, wide receiver friendly, everybody friendly. Uh, so that's a good thing. And then LSU, um, LSU's got a lot of problems. Uh both on the football program, but at the school in general. If you've seen any of the reports from USA Today about what's been going on at the school for the past several years, they could be facing a lot of trouble, Uh, not just NCAA issues, but legal issues. And that's never good for the product on the team and not to make little of all the things that have happened there, but it's certainly not going to help the football program. Uh, how, How are you seeing the SEC West?
1: Well, obviously we talked about Alabama probably don't need to hit on them. We know what they are. They're an absolute juggernaut, but when you look past them, I think Texas A&M is a team that could easily finish number two in this division. I think Jimbo Fisher really has Texas A&M on the right track. Yeah. You know, the next step for them is getting to that college football playoff, just missing it last year. You mentioned that they are going to have to replace Kellen Bond. I think that's uh, could, could maybe be uh, tougher to do than people realize he was a really high level quarterback, but this is a team that's recruited really well and they've got a strong defensive line. They've got a lot of playmakers. So I, I do think that this is a team that could be right there in the mix to finish behind Alabama. And if they play their cards, right, they might even be in the mix for a college football playoff. But as we know, the SEC is so deep, uh, you know, they're, they're probably going to get dinged up too many, too many times to get into that mix. But I do like where that program is headed LSU is fascinating you know it's amazing how quickly Ed Orgeron can get go from uh, you know this savior to now like there's there's almost talks of like what happened to this program the Tigers slipped to five and five after winning it all it's it's kind of shocking to see how far they fell um, I'll be really interested to see what happens with them they, they, they still have a lot of talent they're one of those programs that that brings in so much talent every year it wouldn't surprise me if, if they had a little bit of a bounce back year, but uh fascinating program there. And I'll be interested to see if he can kind of get that mojo back uh, for the tigers. You mentioned old mist. I, I think old miss is a big time sleeper in, in the West. I, I really like what Lane Kiffin is doing with this team. I know you mentioned the defense and they're going to have to improve there for sure, but that offense is really near the top of the SEC or the SEC, excuse me. Um, I don't think scoring points is going to be a problem at all. This team, uh, you know, just put up points at will on teams. I think they're going to be just as good this year, if not better. He's a guy who's always been a big time recruiter as well. And I think bringing in some more of his guys is only going to benefit this program. Um, I think, if you look past that, I think Auburn I'm, I'm with you. I'm not high on Auburn. I think Bo Nix is a guy who's really going to have to elevate his game and play at a higher level. If Auburn is going to kind of get back to that relevant status that we've seen from them in years past. And as far as Arkansas, uh, Sam Pittman, I, I think it was a surprise hire, but you know, he really, really showed some good things last year. I know they were just three and seven, but there was a noticeable improvement from this team, and I think it was on both sides of the football. I like what I've seen from Arkansas as far as their development. This is a program that's really been at the bottom of the SEC for a while now, and I think for the first time in a long time, Razorback fans have something to be hopeful for. So I, I like what I've seen from that program. In the Mississippi State, uh, you touched on them as well. Mike Leach came in there and, and really gave this uh, this offense a shot in the arm with that air raid offense, uh, being able to put up some points. You know, he he dropped or he, he had that big opening win against LSU and then he dropped his next four games. But I think it's a team that really improved over the second half of the year. They won three of their next six games and they were in a lot of close games as well. So I like what he's doing. He has a way of building programs up. You know, Washington State, where he, when he was out here, and, uh, coaching and, uh, up in Pullman. It's, it's a place that it it was always really hard for coaches to recruit up in Pullman. It's a very remote part of Washington. It's a very small town. It's very cold and snowy. It's not exactly an exciting sell to a high school kid. And he was able to bring in his guys and build that program up up to being a top 25 uh, team pretty much every year he was there. They were always in the mix. And so I expect him to be able to get Mississippi State uh, into that relevant status as well uh, pretty quickly. I think in the next year or two, we're going to see some improvement from the Bulldogs.
0: No, I totally agree. I do totally agree with you there. All right, so we're going to move on to the uh, ACC. I mean, again, when we talked about uh, the Big 12 and the Big 10, and even, uh, let's be honest, uh, to a certain extent, the SEC, except for Georgia coming out of the East, uh, you know, they, you have a dominant team there. Obviously in the ACC, Clemson is the dominant team. I know Notre Dame is, is lurk lurking there. Um but you know that's just such a weird situation with Notre Dame and what they're doing i think they can again challenge them i don't think Clemson loses to Notre Dame this year if Trevor Lawrence is healthy yes i know it was more of some defensive breakdowns and there was more d- defensive injuries but you know when you have a freshman quarterback starting in that situation it's hard now he played a heck of a ball game a heck of a ball game and i think he's a very good football player unfortunately for us fans here in columbia south carolina but You know, I just don't see Notre Dame uh, sustaining that. Miami had some great games last season. And North Carolina, man, I got to tell you, North Carolina – Two years ago, South Carolina lost to North Carolina. Mack Brown's first game, um, you know, Sam Howell's first game at quarterback. We were all uh, in Columbia gnashing our teeth and really upset about that. And then you watch what North Carolina has done since that time, and, and, and they're a good football team. Um, and Mack Brown has shown that uh, no matter what, uh, age is just a number, and he can still recruit so I think they're going to, you know, be a challenge as well there. Clemson's biggest thing right now, obviously replacing Trevor Lawrence with DJ. I'm going to just say DJU, no disrespect to DJ or anybody uh, from his culture. I just am not going to be able to say that name correctly. My last name's Drozdak. People struggle with it, so I'm not going to do that to them. But he can be a very good quarterback, and I think he'll do fine. Clemson's defense kind of got exposed a little bit last season, particularly in that Ohio State game, but in other games, and I think that could be if there is something that stands in their way of winning the ACC, it's more their defense than anything. What are your thoughts there?
1: Well, yeah, I'm with you here on DJ Ugalele. I I know I butchered it, but I yeah. went for it anyway. I, I think he's he's really going to come into his own this year. He this is a really phenomenal. Phenomenal talent. He was the number one ranked pocket passer in the 2020 class, super high level recruit in his two starts last season, small sample size, but in his two starts versus Notre Dame and Boston college, he completed 66% of his throws. He came in and looked like a guy who'd been in college football for two or three years, five touchdowns, zero interceptions. Didn't didn't make the big mistake at all. He was just Absolutely awesome. And I think Clemson fans have to be just ecstatic about their future. Now, the O line did lose a lot of talent. And I think that could slow his development just a little bit. But with so much talent at wide receiver, the defense, I think there's some question marks there, but this is a this is a program that is recruited really well on that side of the ball, and they've got one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. He develops guys as good as anyone. I do expect the defense to, to take a step forward. I think the expectations are just sky high, again, at Clemson. I think if you want to look at the rest of uh, some of the teams you mentioned, I like what you said about UNC. I, I'm with you. I – I like what this team has returning, especially at quarterback with Sam Howell. You know he is getting Heisman buzz right now, and he's also getting top overall draft pick buzz for next season as well. So UNC is is bringing in one of its most talented freshman classes. On top of the fact they've got some returning talent there, and like I mentioned at the quarterback position, I love what Mac Brown's been able to do for the Tar Heels. I think this is probably one of the most talented freshman classes they've had in a long time. And you team that up with what's already there, Uh, this this team could. Be really good. This this could be one of the best teams in the ACC outside of Clemson. Uh, Bill Conley of ESPN has them preseason number ten, which might be a little rich, but I, I would not be surprised if they had a tremendous year. If you look at Florida State in Miami, I know you wanted to touch on these teams as well. Uh, you know, for me, these, these are teams that headed in different directions, but, uh, they're, they're sleeping giants. You know, you look at these two programs, we know the history. They're two teams that I think with the right situation and the right momentum, they could be back on track and be juggernauts again. But right now they are shells of their former selves, but you look at Florida state, I do think they should be better in year two with coach, excuse me, Mike Norville, uh, they've brought in some talent via the transfer portal. So this is a team that's that's bringing in some guys that can start today, not just young guys. So I, I do like what he's doing, but this program is still in full rebuild mode. And the defense, my goodness, they were absolutely awesome awful last year. One of the worst defenses in the entire country, giving up 6.5 yards per play. They have got to be better on that side of the ball. I think they'll be better this next season, but there is still a lot of work to be done for the Seminoles. As far as Miami, this is a team that I think is in a little bit better shape than Florida State. I actually expect a big year for Miami. I, I like what I've seen from head coach Manny Diaz. This team, I like what I've seen from this team, and I like what I saw last year. If quarterback Derek King can come back healthy from that ACL injury, this offense should be pretty good. I think this is a team that's got some firepower. Now the defense needs to improve and losing Quincy Roche and Jalen Phillips, Uh, two NFL prospects who, who are both seen as being early uh, first and maybe second round picks guys that are really high level players. That's not going to be easy to replace, but I like where Miami is headed. And, and this is another team that once again, Bill Conley of ESPN has number eight in his preseason rankings. So big expectations for the U for the first time in a while.
0: Absolutely. And I agree with you. I like what Manny Diaz is, is doing down there, brought back some of that Miami swag, but also getting really good, talented players. I love the offense they're running right now with Rhett Lashley uh, down in Miami. And I think it's just uh, I think you're right. I, I expect them to come out of the shoot. Florida State, you know, I agree with you. There's some positives. They'll be better in year two. Um, It's just so crazy to, you know, for, for decades, they were Florida state. They were the, they were the Seminoles. They were the standard and now it's where they are. It just shows you that it can happen to anybody. All right. So with all that being said, hitting the big five uh, power five conferences there, it's way too early. It's way, way too early. But if you were picking your four playoff teams, who are you picking?
1: Well, I think the four is going to be a lot of the regulars. I think it's going to be Alabama I think it's going to be Clemson. I think it's going to be Ohio state. And I think the fourth spot is probably going to be Oklahoma. And I think teams like Oregon and, and Notre Dame and some of these other programs that are just outside of that group. I think, unfortunately they're probably going to be on the outside looking in now. Uh, I, I think when I look at that fourth spot, the fourth spot's the really interesting one because we know the big three, we touched on them. They're just absolutely head and shoulders above everyone else. And even though I think the ACC should be better this year, I don't see anybody being able to compete with Clemson. We know how good the big 10 is, but once again, there's no one there that's in Ohio state's class And Alabama is Alabama. And as great as the SEC is Alabama can lose a game and still be in the playoff. We know that. So because of the respect the SEC gets, and with what we talked about earlier, the Pac-12 does not get that kind of respect. So I think, in order for a team like Oregon to get into that mix, they're going to have to go undefeated, and I think that's a tall ask when you've got so many talented teams out uh, out west, and they're more than likely going to, you know, get dinged at some point. Uh, the Big 12, I don't think, has nearly as many hurdles, and I think Oklahoma is so much better than their competition right now. I think they're more likely to run the table in the Big 12 and probably edge out a team like Oregon. So for me, it, those are probably my most likely four. But we know college football is crazy and anything can happen. I'll be excited to hear who you've got.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, I think out of the ACC, it's, it's Clemson. Um, again, as a Gamecock, that, that, that's hard to watch, but it's Clemson. Um, I, I think I'd love to to see those other teams bring some competition to that conference, but it's just Clemson above everybody else. Uh, again, same, same deal uh, in the big 10 with uh, Ohio state. I think Ohio state is going to dominate that conference. Um, I could be wrong, but I just don't see a, a real challenger right now in the sec. And, you know, I really can't believe I'm going to say this out loud and have it on, on record uh, for people to hear, but I, it could be Georgia's year. It could be Georgia's year. They have a lot coming back. I know you brought up some great points about their secondary and some concerns there. Bama does, Bama will win the West, no doubt. Bama's going to win the West. Bama's got a lot to replace, and they are Alabama, but they've got a lot to replace. So I'm going Bulldogs there. Gamecock fans are going to light me up for that, but I'm just going to have to be honest. I see that happening. Um, and you know I say all that, and I'd still be thrilled if we beat them. But um, again, I agree with you about Oklahoma and the Big Twelve. They're going to take that fourth spot. Unfortunately, Oregon or Southern Cal is going to be left out watching because I think that the two of them are going to beat up on each other. And you're going to have Utah and Arizona State and those teams come out and and you know give you a fight. And it's it's a very talent rich conference right now so for anyone listening to this on the east coast this coming fall I'll get you a half na- i'll get you a nap in at halftime of the early games or whatever stay up late watch some pac 12 football it's gonna be top-notch football Well, Brad, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed having you on. I am going to ask you one last question that we didn't talk about beforehand. It's kind of my uh, flagship question that I ask everybody, and I I don't let anybody prep for it. So we call ourselves the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast because we like to think of ourselves as being slightly above average. From hearing you just now, you're definitely more than slightly above average. So with all that being said, If you're in a bar, if you're at a game in the stands, whatever the case may be, somebody beside you is yelling something out and it lets you know they are not a slightly above average football fan. What's that person yelling out?
1: Oh, man. Uh, Man, there's so many, so many that come to mind. I'm trying to think of like intelligent uh, football terms, Um, you know. You know, if I heard somebody like breaking down a play more in depth, you know if somebody said uh uh you know they're blitzing the weak side safety too much or you know they need to run more cover two zone um or you know something along those lines uh, not not the obvious stuff sometimes the the average football fan you you hear kind of like just uh they need to blitz more. Okay. Sure. You know, but, um, there's, there's a lot of guys that I think when you're above average, you'll, you'll hear it with comments like that. Um, you know, the, they'll know the plays more in depth. They'll know the players more in depth and, and you'll usually hear somebody say something or yell something that's just uh, slightly above average, if you will, uh, as far as breaking the, down the game at a higher level, you know, um, He high pointed the football there, you know, things like that, things that maybe the average fan might not pay attention to or, or realize. So I I guess I'm always looking for guys that that can be a little more uh, analytical guys that can break down the game at, at a slightly higher level.
0: Absolutely. That's, that's, that's a good, that's a good point. Very good points there. All right, man. I really appreciate you coming on. I enjoyed it. I hope you did too. Everybody listening, make sure you subscribe rate and review both the slightly above average football podcast, football fan podcast, and the pint glass football podcast Brad, I can't say thank you enough, man.
1: Hey, thank you. It's been an absolute blast, man. I'd love to do it again.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure.